Welcome back to the Don't Worry About It podcast, where we talk all things mental health related, from anxiety to depression, from happiness to sadness, and all emotions and feelings in between. My name is David Izzo, and I started this podcast to help facilitate conversations related to mental health topics. Today's episode, we have a special guest. Her name is Rachel. Rachel reached out to me on September 7th after listening to a previous episode of someone that she knew and was interested in coming on but needed to remain anonymous. She was happy to let us use her first name, but her last name and her med school needed to be left out. So that information you will not hear and was purposely left out of our conversation. This conversation was recorded on September 9th, and I do want to give a real big shout out to Rachel for having the courage to reach out to someone she didn't know to go on a platform and share mental health advice, tips and tricks and as well as her own experience battling her own mental health issues and as well as it's as it's impacted her in the mental in the her mental health in the med school system so thank you so much to rachel for coming on and i hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as i did rachel welcome to the don't worry about it podcast thanks so much for coming on thanks for having me yeah, I'm really glad that um, found and that we were able to set up a time for us to chat because I found when you reached out, I thought you know you'd have a really good insight into something that I don't think people realize. So, if you wouldn't mind for the listeners, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm in medical school in my last year, and uh, right now I'm applying for residency, which is what medical students do when they first become a doctor uh, in internal medicine. So that basically encompasses adult medicine. So it includes a lot of things like primary care, general hospital medicine, cardiology, rheumatology, and a lot of other specialties. So I don't know exactly what the future holds for my career, but it'll be something in that realm of adult medicine. Interesting. Well, first of all, congratulations on completing, what was it, three, your first three years of medical school. I mean, Medical school to me sounds like super daunting. And for me, one of my biggest uh, triggers for anxiety has been school. Um, I really struggle with it. So I really commend you for, for going this far and like completing all that work. That I mean, I know for me, that must be really stressful. How's, how do you get through it? Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, it's definitely a climb. Um, I think over the years, I've just developed thicker skin, developed better coping mechanisms, and over time, when you really want something, you just work through it. Interesting. Well, you used the word uh, coping mechanism. Can you explain what you meant by that? Yeah. So I think over the years, really starting in college, uh, since that was very stressful, just in order to get into medical school, I just had to figure out ways to deal with stress. So there are different things that work for everyone. But for me personally, I just like to do things to wind down and kind of take my mind off of whatever I'm worried about. So one thing I like to do is mindful walking. So, and you can really apply this to any activity, but I like to do with walking. Uh, You basically just focus on whatever you're experiencing. So like whatever you're seeing, whatever you're hearing, whatever you're feeling. uh, And you just think about that while you're doing whatever the activity is. And it just helps you stay present in the moment. So that's an example of something that I like to do. Um, other things, just basically things like reaching out to a friend or a family member, um, 
in times of stress. And I like doing puzzles, uh, coloring, yeah, really anything that can help keep me centered and take my mind off of everything. Whoa. I mean, I've never, I've heard of the other stuff. I've never heard of mindful walking. So it sounds like you just, you're feeling stressed out or having maybe some anxiety and you just go for a walk. Do you, while you're doing this to be present, so you're, you put like headphones on, is there music going on in the background? I personally don't do that. I try to just listen to whatever's going on around me. So like if there are birds chirping, I want to hear that. If there are different bug noises, whatever it is going on around me, I want to be fully present. And this is actually a very powerful technique that even works for things like smoking cessation. It's really as effective as other treatments, like even drugs for things like smoking cessation. So mindfulness is actually a very powerful tool and I'm definitely not very experienced in it. I'm just an amateur, but uh, after reading about it, it's something that I try to practice whenever I'm feeling stressed out. Well, I do want to, I mean, specify, I understand you're not an expert necessarily in it. And uh, I mean, I'm definitely not an expert in it. I'm just somebody who's spent 25 years on this, on this earth dealing with my own anxieties. And, you know, I've taken classes and I've studied and I've researched, but I'm, I guess, by no means a practical practicing mental health professional, but it seems like you found something that specifically works for you. Yeah. I think it really helps, especially with anxiety um, because, you know, you're thinking about all these other things and, having something that can help you just stay focused on what's happening in the moment. And it kind of helps you just forget about everything else you were worried about. And if you don't mind me asking, how did you come across mindful walking? Well, I was doing a a presentation on smoking cessation. Uh, This was like several months ago. And um, I just happened to come across an article about how mindfulness can help with smoking cessation. So that kind of just started to get me thinking about mindfulness. I had heard of it before, but I had never really thought about trying to apply it to my life. But once I started to see like there are actual studies showing that it works for one thing, I just thought maybe I should just try it in my own life and see how it works. Wow. And this might be a stupid question, so I apologize if it is. What are, what is smoking sensation? Oh, no, it's not a stupid question. Uh, like stopping smoking. So if you, like, if you've been smoking, you're like addicted to cigarettes. Um, it's very difficult to stop as I'm sure everyone realizes. So there are different, it's not a very easy thing to treat. I mean, there are a couple of medications we can use to try to help, uh, and counseling, but it's very, it's very difficult to break that habit. And mindfulness just happens to be something that works. Interesting. Well, mindfulness is a very loaded word. How do you define or describe what mindfulness is? Yeah, I I think it just means being present. I think that's something that in this day and age, a lot of us have a really hard time with. You know, we're working really difficult jobs. uh, We're always connected on social media. There's always so much going on. And it can be really hard to just stay present. And mindfulness is just a tool that I think can help us stay present. Yeah, I think I think I really agree with you there. I think mindfulness, I think you really summed it up. It's just about being present. And, you know, I personally went through some really bad anxiety um, issues in college. And really, I dealt with in my own life. And, you know, people would just tell me, you know, you just be present, calm down. I'm like, and my answer was always, 
I would love to calm down, but my mind is always racing and I don't know what it ever meant to really be in the moment. My, I'd always be thinking 10 steps ahead, 20 steps ahead. What's going to happen if I do this? What's going to happen if I do that? And it hasn't really been until the last few years where I've, you know, but through meditation, through going on walks and exercise that I've ever really allowed myself or learned how to be what mindfulness really is. And I think once you kind of get a taste of it, it can become very, I don't know, addicting is not the word, but something that you constantly want to achieve. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really difficult to get into the habit of changing the way you think. And that's one of the issues with anxiety. Um, but mindfulness is the kind of thing that once you start practicing it and you just start to see how it can benefit you, even if it's just for like 10 seconds, if you can stop worrying about something for 10 seconds, I think that's great. I agree. I think small wins are a huge part um, of, of combating anxiety and negative and, you know, negative thoughts, r- real brutal ruminations. It's kind of doing whatever you possibly can to get yourself to a baseline where your mind isn't completely running a million miles an hour. Maybe you cut it in half or maybe you f- find a way to slow it down for just for a few seconds of just relief. And that can allow you to change the course of that negative train thought and maybe derail it to neutral. And once you're a neutral, now you're at a baseline, you can take steps to actually help solve whatever it is that's causing or issues that are rooted in the anxiety. Yeah, I totally agree. It's not something that you can just turn on and off. You can't just change all of your thoughts immediately. Uh, It's more a slow process. Like you were saying, like just trying to get back to neutral is really the goal at first, I think. Yeah, it's such a weird idea of just, I just want to be neutral. I don't want, it's like, I don't want to be like, okay, or I don't want to be like, great. Just when you get to like that, when your anxiety gets bad, it's kind of like, I just don't, I don't want to be anything. It's like, if if zero's like the worst and 10's the best, it's like four sounds lovely and five is phenomenal. Yeah, I can definitely relate. So I want to, I guess I'm, 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 genuinely very curious what med school is like and how that's affected you and your anxiety. Yeah. Uh, medical school, it's hard to even put into words. Uh, it's something that until you're actually experiencing it, you can never like fully understand what the process is like. But um, yeah, when you start medical school, they just throw you right in. Uh, so every school does things differently, a little bit differently in terms of the curriculum. But basically you spend the first two years learning all of the like anatomy and physiology. So like basically all about the human body and what goes on in the human body. And then you learn about pathology, which is what goes wrong in the human body. And then throughout all of that, while you're learning all that, you also have to start learning how to interact with patients, uh, usually with people who are acting like patients, like they're just getting paid. They're not real patients. Uh, so it's kind of a lot to handle all at once. And the pace of learning is very fast and you have tests very frequently. And I think like for me in college, I was very diligent. I was always really on top of studying. I always knew all the material before. And it was kind of a shock getting to medical school and realizing it doesn't matter how much you study. You could literally be studying 24 seven and going to know everything because it's just, too much too fast and you just have to learn how to get by and I think that can cause anxiety for a lot of people who are used to doing more than just getting by you know 
Yeah. I One of the, I don't know why, I think one of the thoughts that popped in my head is you were talking about, you know, what the, what, what it's like in med school. It's so fast paced and you don't really have any time to really, and the word that came to mind was process. It seems like you never really get a chance to really decompress or you always, you're, you finish one assignment or you finish a class and it's on to the next topic or and you keep going and going and going like kind of like a, like a hamster in a wheel, just running in place. Yeah. Oh, and I didn't even get to the rest. But, um, at, so <laughs> after second year, we take the first part of our boards It's called step one. And that is probably one of those anxiety inducing tests of all time. Um, actually it's, it's becoming pass fail. So like when I took it, it was not pass fail, but in a couple of years, they're changing it to be pass-fail because they've realized how much anxiety it causes for people. And, I mean, it's it's questionable whether or not that's actually going to lead to better outcomes. But, anyway, so that's a very stressful test. And then we go straight into third year, and that's when we're doing all of our clinicals. So, that's just very stressful in a different way. So, we're not, like, listening to lectures all day, but we do still have tests and we also are in the clinical setting, like working with doctors. And to me, that brought on a lot of different stressors. Um, kind of just, it seemed, the way the way they treat you is like they're expecting you to know everything. And it's so stressful being in that kind of environment where like you don't know everything. You barely know anything, especially compared to everyone else around you who's already a doctor. So that just new level of stress and then going into fourth year uh, we have to take the second part of our board it's called step two it's not as bad as step one but it's still a lot it's on basically everything learned in third year and um and then we have to start applying for residency which brings on a whole new set of stressors so the whole process is very stressful and we really have to find our own way of working through it how do you find your own way? How do you find your own way? Yeah, so I will admit it has been a struggle for me. Uh, I definitely did not always deal with it in the best way, but I've just tried to find different activities. Like something that I never did before medical school was yoga. I don't do it all the time, but towards the beginning of medical school is when I did that more. And um, Along the way, I've just picked up other activities. Like I mentioned, the mindful walking. Um, I like coloring. I like doing puzzles. Um, sometimes I'll just like put on music when I'm cleaning my apartment. Uh, just really anything to distract myself from everything that's going on. You mentioned there was a time where you didn't handle things so well. If you're comfortable, would you mind talking about that? Yeah. I think the beginning of that, the hardest mentally um so the first uh the first part of medical school for me was we did anatomy so that's like you're dissecting like a human body and um you just have to know like everything about the human body and for one thing it actually like it's pretty depressing if you can imagine it's like all you're seeing all day is like dead bodies um and especially like that's the first thing that you get thrown into so to go from like being a college kid to doing that every day, I don't know, it was just a very weird transition. And um, they expect you to be very independent. So 
you know, there would be like one or two professors in a room full of people and they'd say, okay, just like start dissecting your body. And like, we had no idea what we were doing and we were expected to learn so much material so fast. And I think I just really struggled at that time. I had a lot of mental breakdowns probably during the first like two weeks of medical school. Like I just, I didn't even know what to do about all the stress. Wow. That's intense. Men- you, when you say mental breakdowns, what do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, just getting very overwhelmed and kind of like freezing and not being able to do anything. And yeah, it's like not even, not, even, not being able to study or like do anything productive, just like, just freezing. Interesting. I know. I mean, I've, I've been in that place where you, you know, you, the anxiety, the stress, it just, there's a threshold of how much each, and for everybody, it's different of how much we can take. And, you know, we can freak out, but still recover and keep going and keep going and going. But when that boils over and you can't, everyone's like, keep going, keep going, keep going. You want to keep going, keep going, keep going. And then, I don't know. I, I just, in my head, I always picture it as just an over, eventually just overflows. And no matter how many band-aids you put on it and you, and you just kind of break down, you, you don't, you just kind of fit. Like you said, freeze is actually a really good way of putting it, but you're kind of also aware while you're frozen. I don't know if that's, if I sound, if that's something that maybe you experience as well, but you kind of walk, you can kind of see everything going on around you, but you're not aware. You're not really paying attention to it. It's just kind of life kind of starts to go by but you're stuck. Yeah, exactly. That's really exactly how it felt. So when that was going on, did you have a support, any like support system of people you could go to talk to? Was there, I don't know whether it's at, that's at med school or maybe was it a family member relationship with a sibling friend? Yeah. So that was at the beginning of medical school. So it was hard. Like I didn't really know anyone to talk to like from school, but yeah, I definitely had friends and family members to reach out to. The thing is, it's hard to even sometimes talk to friends and family members who aren't in medicine um, because there's just something about the experience that other people can't fully relate to if they haven't gone through it. Uh, so it definitely helps having friends in the medical field to talk to about things. It's, that's an, you know, that's a really interesting topic. And I'm not, I think I agree with you that if you don't experience the same type of situation that you can't relate to it, but I wonder if that's a defense mechanism that people use because they don't want people, because it's easier if some, I wonder if it's easier if people, if you, if you say people can't relate or they can't understand what you're going through and it kind of, in a way, it's kind of a defense mechanism so that you say that people can't understand you because if they, if they say that they do understand you and maybe they actually do understand you but they don't agree with you it kind of can make you feel terrible i don't i I, I, that's just a spitballing idea here i don't i'm not sure which side of the aisle i kind of fall on i think i I side with you but it's just i'm I'm, I'm just curious i don't know if you have any Hmm. thoughts on that yeah that's interesting i've never thought about that before um it's i think that's possible but i don't know but it feels, yeah. but if, but it's the way, I mean, it's, if for you, I think that's something that people got to get caught up on in terms of reality versus perception. It may be the reality, but when you're in that situation where your perception or where your perception is that you can't, like me, I can't understand what you're going through in medical school, the stress, the, the rigor of the schedule, the testing, because I never went through it. 
So how can I understand? I may have gone through something else that's similar, but it's not the same. Right. And that's not to discount the stresses that anyone else has gone through, but it's just very mentally taxing to be in medicine sometimes. So yeah, it just can be hard to relate to other people sometimes. Oh, 100%. Um, I apologize for getting off track, but I, I want to go back um, where we were before. And you were you mentioned that you were having breakdowns. And I, I asked the question of, you know, where'd you go? And you are like, who'd you go to? When you were having these breakdowns, how did you get out of them? You know, I think with time, there was just no choice. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't be like that forever. I needed to get through these few months of, well, the first part was a few months of anatomy. So, you know, I knew I needed to get through that. And um, I think another thing that actually helped me was I was really lucky that there were other students at my school who had already learned anatomy already. And after the first couple of weeks, I just reached out to some of them and asked them if they could help me. And a couple of them walked through a lot of the things with me, like in the anatomy lab that no one actually had taught us in class. And that is another thing, now that I'm thinking about it, that definitely helped me get through it, just realizing it is actually possible to get through this and there are people here to help me get through it. Interesting. Rachel, are you somebody who's, is it hard for you to ask for help? I would say that historically, yes. Um, I've been challenging myself to ask for help as much as I can throughout medical school because this is the kind of thing that you just, you can't go through it without help. And sometimes I have to really push myself out of my comfort zone to reach out to people and ask for help. But the truth is people really are willing to help uh, just in general, but I think especially in medicine. So I would encourage anyone who's struggling to just reach out to someone for help. Really nothing bad could come out of it. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. I think people want to help, and it, and all you can a lot. I mean, sometimes you might reach out to somebody, they might not respond or help in the way that you want to, but people are willing to help. And I I wonder if it's because, in, especially in your community of of people who've gone in that niche of medical school, I think I wonder if because they've gone through it before, they kind of have a respect or an appreciation of what you're going through, and they can relate to you, and they want to help. Maybe they didn't have, maybe they were in the same position you were and nobody helped them and they wish somebody did, or maybe even more so they did struggle and they reached out to somebody that did help them and they want to pay that forward. Yeah. I think the second thing that you just said is what typically happens. I think in medicine, we're always supposed to be educating the next generation. So I think it's just kind of expected of people to help whenever someone asks for help. And of course, there are always going to be some people who just don't really feel like giving you their time. And, you know, that's unfortunate. But overall, I'd say the majority of people really are willing to help. And is there a competitive aspect to medical school? Like, are you competing against your fellow peers? Definitely. Uh, Yeah, it's an interesting situation because... You know, everyone is, like, friendly with each other, but at the same time, especially once we get to the clinicals, it's very hard not to compete because, you know, we'll usually be paired with one or two other medical students, and we, we're being compared to each other, you know? Like, there's nothing we can do about it. We are being compared to each other. So, like, you have two of the least competitive people together, and there still is competition going on. 
And I think especially in certain fields, like there are some fields in medicine that are just known to be more competitive than others. So I'll just throw out a random example, like dermatology, orthopedic surgery, neurosurgery. Those are some very competitive fields. So uh, luckily I'm not going into one of those fields, but for students who are, I think it can get even more competitive just because everyone really wants to stand out and it's hard to stand out. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of competition. I think competition is good. I think it, I think when people are competing, it, it can strive to bring out the best of them. You might push yourself harder than you would, but there are times where I can definitely see that if you're struggling and you, when you're struggling, it can be very easy to perceive. And I'm going to use the word perceive, not reality because you don't know, but if you're struggling, you're struggling and you look around your med class or one of your classes or lectures or wherever you are with your peers and that person could be freaking out the same as you are on the inside, but from your, you may, and they may even actually show physical signs of like stress, but you may not even be able to read those signs correctly. And just because of your, I don't know, an insecurity or an inability to, because of the anxiety to see it mentally, people could also be struggling just as hard as you are. And if they're not, you know, voicing it because they're not encouraged to, or because they're even, what if it's even worse, they're actually discouraged. And I can see how that can be a real problem. Yeah, definitely. That happens all the time. Uh, and even even I don't show when I'm feeling like that. You know, I act like everything's okay. So I can only imagine if I'm acting like that, even when I may be freaking out inside, other people are doing the same thing. I wonder, what, why do you think it is that you're that people, and maybe even if you want to speak personally, why you are afraid to show that emotion? I think part of it is a personality thing. I think just in general, I don't have a very easy time expressing emotions. But beyond that, I just think that the way the system is set up, uh, we're always being evaluated. So it's like everything you do, every step you take, you are being watched. It sounds kind of weird, but that's just how it is. You know, when you're training to be responsible for people's lives, you know, they have to really watch everything you're doing. Um, But the downside of that, I think, is that there isn't really any room to express concerns about stress or anxiety or anything like that because we're afraid of being judged. And if you're afraid of being judged, do you think that can affect, yeah, that, that would affect, that would just maybe discourage you from going and seeking. And even if there was, let's say a mentor or a counselor somebody set up to handle this that might discourage you from reaching out to them because you're afraid of it negatively reflecting your candidacy to get into a program or wherever it is that you go after med school. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there have been times that I reached out to people to talk, but I have always been very hesitant about what to talk about because it's like, you know, I know this person may be grading me or just, judging me even if they're not grading me and yeah it's definitely difficult to navigate the system you know that's it's really scary because i mean i I do understand the immense pressure that goes on i think doctors and specific in and i mean you are depending on what concentration you're in you can be responsible for saving people's lives literally if you're in you know an er doctor and someone's crashing and they're losing blood and you have to make those split second decisions. They do. I can understand why med school can be 
big brother-ish in terms of somebody's always watching you and feeling that way. And it, maybe it is best to to kind of script, to kind of make you be the best you can be. But I can imagine that that toll mentally has to be immense. Yeah, it definitely is. Wow. So, so you're in med, you're in med school now going into your fourth year. You've experienced, you've already overcome some really struggle, hard struggles in the beginning. Looking back, how do you think you got through it? Honestly, it's, it's hard to say. I think there were so many different challenges and I got through it different ways, but I think the biggest thing for me is to just try to think about what I'm doing this for, uh, because ultimately I know that I'm doing this to help future patients and it can be really hard to see that sometimes, but I think for me, that has been the most important thing. I mean, aside from the you know, stress management techniques that we've discussed a little bit already. Uh, I think just really honing in on why you're doing what you're doing is so important. How do you mean? Uh, I just mean, you know, for every challenge, like every difficult patient I interact with or difficult doctor I interact with, I just try to remind myself, like, this will all be worth it ultimately because I will ultimately achieve my goal whatever my goal ends up being in medicine. But ultimately, I'm, we all go into this field because we want to take care of people. We want to heal people. So just knowing that that lies in the future helps me get through. Interesting. When did you know you wanted to go into medicine? So I don't think that I really had like an aha moment, but it was sometime at the beginning of college. I knew that I wanted to do something in the science realm and I don't know. I think I thought medicine would be a challenge in a good way. And I also just thought, you know, I would, I would actually love to have that responsibility you know, to save people's lives, to, to be responsible for people's lives. And yeah, medicine was just a calling, I guess. Interesting. And I, I'm, for, forgive me if you've already mentioned it. What, what kind of doctor are you guys, are you, are you looking to be like, what, what are you looking to specialize in or concentrate in? Yeah. So I don't know exactly at this point. So I'm applying to internal medicine residencies. So that's a very broad field like that encompasses most of adult medicine. Um, so that it includes primary care, hospital medicine, but it also includes things like cardiology, gastroenterology, hematology, oncology, so there are many fields within internal medicine. So, yeah, at this point, all I know is that I'll be treating adults. All you know is you'll be treating adults. Got it. And the way you've talked about, you know, med school and, and the future, it seems like there's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, that's how it is in medicine always. And I believe uncertainty is one of the foundational pieces that leads to really bad anxiety. Yeah, I completely agree. So if you feel this way, and I think people feel this way, I'm curious what you think. Do you think that there are a lot of people in med school that have really felt the burden mentally and have, I mean, I assume there's a, probably a dropout rate and I assume there's a mental health. There might, I have a suspicion that there might be a mental health. I don't know if a crisis is the right word, but. And it's definitely not an, I wouldn't use epidemic, but 
seems like there might be in mental health challenges for those that are in med school. Yeah, there definitely are. In terms of dropping out, there isn't a very high dropout rate. I mean, there always are people who drop out for sure, but I think once you get into medical school, they do want you to stay there, so they will try to get you to stay. But I think a lot of people get through medical school struggling with their mental health. And, you know, unfortunately, I don't, I don't have an easy answer for how to fix that, but there is so much uncertainty and just so much pressure and we're dedicating so much time to this. So it's only natural that people would struggle with their mental health. Yeah. And I do want to also state the claim that life, there's a lot of uncertainty in life. That's just how it goes. We don't, we can't predict the future. And when we try to predict, predict the future, it's usually either a self-fulfilling prophecy or we're wrong. Like a lot of the time. Because we, we don't have enough information. We're just not good at, we're really poor at predicting the future. And we let our anxiety take grasp of that uncertainty and really lets your imagination run wild and can be really, really cruel. However, I do think that learning how to deal with that uncertainty and learning how to cope is really, really valuable. But there must be those that have cracked underneath that pressure. And I'm wondering, is there, what kind of support... If you right, if you you were having troubles, first few first few months, or if you let's say you were having troubles now, where would you go? Who would you was? Is there somebody in the system that you could go to talk to? Is there uh, an on staff counselor or? Yeah. So at the beginning, I didn't really have like a school based support system, but I am really lucky to have an incredible advisor. Uh, she's basically like a therapist to me. Like I'll talk to her about anything and, you know, I'm really lucky to have that, but I can't say that every medical student in the world has such a great advisor. So I'm sure that's something that's an issue for some people. Uh, and the school also has a counseling service that students can take advantage of that. I think we automatically have to pay for anyway. Uh, so those are, those are the support systems that I know of. I think, some students might seek out additional help just by talking to other people, but I don't know. I'm not really the kind of person to like just reach out to anyone and ask for help. So when I know like I have a designated advisor, like that's the person that I would go to. Got it. I wonder, I mean, I think it's great that the school has that counselor on, on staff, but you know, you mentioned um, you feel like you're always being watched and being judged. Do you like? Do you think somebody would? Would you feel comfortable opening up and speaking about challenges to that person, and worried about confidentiality, or that they wouldn't? That that some for some way somehow that either the the knowledge that you went to seek help or what you even said in the session would leak out to a decision maker. So it depends. Like when I talk to my advisor, that I feel I feel totally comfortable doing that. Um, but you know, she's kind of separate from the medical world uh, like she's not she's not actually a doctor um in terms of like the doctors i work with i'm always very hesitant you know i'm hesitant to say anything that may cause someone to see me in a negative way in that setting and that's got to be a that's got to take a toll to not to want especially if you want to do it and to not to feel like if I do, I might be torpedoing my chat, my chances at, you know, getting a, maybe a great recommendation letter or getting 
getting maybe it's a scholarship or some whatever accolades you can get versus maybe residencies or whatever it is that you can get that's got to be really frustrating and really tough yeah it's definitely one of the challenges i think i've just gotten used to acting like everything's okay all the time when i'm in the hospital setting or just the medical setting it's it's been hard and I mean, clearly, once you get out, you must have found a routine or I don't know, is it through family, friends? Like, how do you balance? How do you balance the workload with fun and free time? And Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a challenge. And, you know, I'm probably not even the best at doing that. Uh, I think it's hard for everyone, though. Um, I mean, look, we do spend a lot of our time studying. Like, even if we're not in the hospital, we have to spend a lot of our time studying and so now I'm not really studying for a specific test at the moment, but I'm doing my residency application stuff. So there's always something. And the fact of the matter is that when you're in medicine, you do have to just give up a lot of your time to medicine. And that's not to say that you don't have any free time, but you do have less free time than the average person. And that must be cause stresses on whether it's relationships, um, like if you're dating or relationships with friends or maybe even family, has that put a lot of stress in your personal life? Yeah. So in terms of relationships, I've never like had a serious relationship, so I can't really speak to that in particular, but just in general with like friendships, family, dating, really any kind of relationships, uh, it is hard. It is hard to, it's hard to help other people understand like why you're so busy and why you might not, respond all the time and like to texts or phone calls and things like that. Um, so you just have to find people who will try to understand as best as possible. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a really good point. It's about really identifying relationships or putting the work in to create them where if you miss a text or you don't, you know, when, when, when they text you out, like, Hey, like come out or we're all getting together. Can you make it? And you text back, like, I can't because I got this, that they actually trust and value that you, when you say you can't do it, it means I love to, but I really can't do it. Yeah. And there are things that you just have to miss out on. And, you know, that's just the way it is. That is just the way it is. I mean, it seems like you've really come to terms with a lot of, you know, the struggles and you've just kind of, that seems to be your mentality of, I can't change the way it is, but I can change my outlook on it, my perspective. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. I mean, I think going into medicine, I knew it would be demanding. I knew that I wouldn't get to do everything else that people my age get to do. And I was okay with that because I thought it would be worth it. It definitely can be hard at times, you know, even though we go into this knowing that we're giving up kind of having like a normal life in a way. It sounds extreme, but that kind of is just how it is. Um, But yeah, even though we go into it knowing that, it definitely can be hard sometimes when certain things come up that we have to miss certain family events or things with friends. But yeah, I feel like once you are so invested in what you're doing, the disappointments like that, you just have to deal with. Interesting. That's, I, mean, I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. You just, you, I mean, but what if you, has there been, has there been like a thing that really has haunted you that you weren't able to overcome or to really deal with? Maybe it was something you missed, a family event, a friend's birthday. I don't, I don't know. 
I don't think there's any one thing in particular. I mean, there definitely have been things that I miss out on, like an event here or there, or just even not an event, just like hanging out with people. Um, but yeah, I've just, I've just come to terms with it. And, and I think most of the people in my life are able to understand that at least to an extent. So that's been helpful too. Interesting. And I'm curious what, in your perspective, I, I mean, I don't know specifically your friend group or, you know, where you, where you live or who you're like hanging out with, but do you find that these could you bring up like mental health challenges with your friends? Like personally, like, would you feel comfortable bringing it up with them? That's something I struggle with, honestly. And this could just be a personal thing. Uh, I'm sure other people, at least some other people might have an easier time with that. But for me, especially in the medical setting, even among my peers, it's really just hard for me to open up about this. Well, which is interesting that you're saying that because, we don't know each other. Like we don't know each other. We, we, we spoke once over a few messages on on Facebook, and then we had a phone call. Today's Wednesday, so two days ago, and yet here you are opening up to me and to a bunch of people that you don't know about your mental health struggles. Right, and this is something that I push myself to do because I think maybe someone could benefit from it. But this is not even something that I would normally do, to be honest. Yeah, I think, I mean, you mentioned that you push yourself out of your comfort zone. I wonder, I mean, it seems like, I mean, you're pretty good at opening up. I mean, I've asked you some questions and you haven't backed down from any one of them. So I I commend you for that. I think that's really, really cool. Thank you. So when you're with your, I guess if you, and you mentioned your peers in medical school, but I'm, I'm just curious what, your, what you think the state of mental health is I don't know whether it's in the, our community or the greater state of the world. Like, what are things that we could be doing better? Yeah, I think our mental health is suffering uh, in medicine and also not even outside of medicine, just in general. I think that we have been doing a good job about breaking the stigma, but there still is so much stigma associated with mental health. And I think we just have to keep talking about it more. You know, like we're starting to talk about it more. We're starting to hear more stories, but it's still, it's still a taboo topic and we need to get to the point where it's no longer a taboo topic. Interesting. You think it's a mental health is is still a taboo topic. Do you think? So I, I mean, I, I spend a ton of time thinking about mental health. I mean, I, started a mental health podcast to help facilitate for the goal of finishing to facilitate the conversations around mental health. I think we've done a really excellent job of bringing awareness to mental health as a, in this country and the, in the United States of America. And I think that we've, we've done a really good job, but I, and I think there's still more room, more room for growth and removing it. But I always wonder what the next step's going to be because what happens when we, you know, when it doesn't become taboo and also there's a privacy aspect to mental health, right? Just because I'm, can talk about openly like that I struggle doesn't mean I necessarily should open up with everybody. Right. I think I I was speaking with somebody over the weekend, um, somebody who is female about the same age as I am about 24, 20, between 24 and 26, I'm 25. So somewhere in my, around my, around my age, I didn't ask exactly how old she is because my parents taught me better. Never asked, (laughs) never asked some, never asked a girl how old she is. So, and we were talking and we were talking about, you know, mental health. Like I'm pretty, 
it, depending on where I am in the setting, I'm pretty open about my own struggles. I don't have so much of a challenge. Um, but I, I, I noticed other people do. And she mentioned that she becomes uncomfortable when strangers or people that she doesn't know so well talk so openly about their mental health. And my first thought initially in the head was, whoa, that's really interesting. My second thought was, well, maybe that's a you problem, not a not, not like the other person problem. And then I started to go where I think her head was. And I, and I think where, and I asked her, I think where her head was, was basically saying that, you know, I don't need to know what's going on mentally, like, that you're struggling, that everyone's struggling with mental health. If I'm not, if I don't have an established connection with them and that for her, in her perspective, it's, and maybe it was mostly in dating or with guys or she doesn't need to know every little detail. And I, I think there are a lot of, and I've spoken with other people that are like that, where they want to help, they, they're into mental health and they believe it's like so important to take care of, but when they're not always so comfortable or even if, and even if they remove the stigma around it, don't believe that those conversations are need to be had so openly and with everybody, maybe a little too much oversharing. I was curious what you thought about that. Yeah, I think some people just are still not really comfortable talking about it or hearing about it. But I hope that's something that will change because I think there are some people who need maybe need to hear it from a stranger, maybe need to hear it on a podcast or or anywhere. They need to hear other people talking about these issues so that they will feel comfortable talking about these issues. And maybe they don't have anyone in their life they can talk to about it. So hearing it from a stranger could actually be the first step for someone. So I do think it's good for us to have these conversations. Yeah, I think, I think, I just think, I think most things can be helped and minimal and maybe solved by having more honest, open conversations. That doesn't mean going and confiding in a stranger, if that's not what you can do, or if it's not, it's more about, you know, active listening and really hearing when somebody's struggling and, trying to see from their perspective and and trying to ask questions. I think the more questions people ask, the better off they'll be. I think they'll learn more. If somebody's struggling, why is it that you're struggling? What is it about? Like those feelings, like that make you uncomfortable. It's kind of like doing kind of like investigative work on feelings and emotions. I'm just, I mean, I'm personally an optimist about mental health. I'm like a pessimist in nature about almost everything else. I'm changing, working on changing that outlook, but I feel like we've done a really good job as a society in, in accepting that mental health is a reality in, in people's lives. But I do think we have a long way to go. And I was, you know, more optimistic until I spoke with a really good friend of mine, Jeremy. And Jeremy is one of the, one of the people that's really supported me in making this podcast. And when I was asking him, he, he works in uh, the corporate world. And I asked him, I said, what, what's like been the mental health like in your workplace? I, I was like, I think you know, we've, we've done a really good job of removing stigma. And he said, yeah, we have, but I can't go to my boss and tell him that I'm having, that I need a mental health day because I'm, or I'm having a really tough day and I, I, I need to go home or like work from home or, but he could, but if he went to his boss or to HR or to whoever it was, or to his manager and said, you know, I'm really not feeling well, they immediately tell you go work from home or take a day off. But if they talk, but if they go to their manager and say, Hey, I'm having a really tough time because of X, Y, and Z, or maybe they don't, even need to give a reason or they just say, you know, I'm really struggling. I'm having a panic attack or I'm having really high anxiety. They might, they're worried about that they could lose their job or be seen as weak in the company. Maybe they'll get passed over for a promotion because somebody else isn't voicing that. And I was curious what you thought about that. Yeah. I mean, I think the same thing happens in medicine too. There have been days that I felt really overwhelmed and, you know, I felt like 
I just need to go home right now. But I would never be able to go up to someone and say, I'm having anxiety or I'm really stressed or whatever. I just, I would never be able to do that. So I just tough it out and just try to get through the day. And I don't know. I don't see it. I don't see a time that that's really going to change. Just to be honest, (laughs) I don't mean to sound pessimistic, but I just, I think that, I think there's hesitation to go in that direction because people could abuse that. So while I definitely think it's true that sometimes people are just having a bad day and maybe would be better off just going home. But unfortunately, I think some people would probably abuse that to the point where even if they were fine, but they just didn't really feel like working, they might try to use that as an excuse. So for that reason, I, I don't see it going in that direction where we can just do that. Um, and I don't really know what the solution is. Yeah, I think I, I'm right there with you. I see the, I, I, I think if you just open that as an open door policy, and I think the, I think I do think the first company that openly doesn't, I do think it'll happen. I, I mean, I want to be bold and say in the next two years, maybe the next year or two, but I'll be conservative and say in the next five years, I do think that one of these big companies is going to open up a policy opening their company allowing 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 those or at minimum giving out mental health days i think companies are doing that with but they're masking under pto like i was actually re- you know really lucky as a kid um my parents were actually like really pro mental health days um if i needed a day off from school and i i I'll throw myself under the bus i was you know between the ages of eight and like 15 i abused those mental health days i would either if I didn't fake sick or not. And my parents probably would tell me later in life, like we knew you were faking sick. We just realized you probably had a good reason why you were faking sick. And you probably just needed a mental health day. And my parents were really were like ahead of the curve on that. And I think it's kind of really helped me, you know, understand mental health later in life and the idea of just needing some time and space. But I also can see the abuse problem and I don't have a solution for it, but I do think a company's going to get ahead of it. And I'm very curious how that's going to be done as a test case, because I think when they do it, they're going to be like showered with praise and applause by the entire world. And I wonder what the ramifications are going to be on the movement. And I don't know if ramifications are the right world, but how it evolves in, in the workplace environment. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that will probably happen in the business world before it happens in medicine. Um, but I'm, oh, 100%. I'm also interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, I think I think in medicine, you know, doctors, you know, I mean, I assume everyone can relate to it. And you probably have because you've gone to see doctors where it's so hard to go to find nowadays for a lot of reasons. It's hard to like get even get into a quick appointment, like an appointment you have, you're sick or you need to go see a specialist for something. It's like doctor's time is you know is very valuable and they're fitting a lot of patients in in the same time where if they just take a met, you know, if, if, if I had a doctor appointment that got canceled and they said mental because they needed a mental health day and I'm very pro mental health, but I took, I, I, I already asked for time off to my boss because, because I need to go get that appointment. That would really like piss me off. I, and, and I would understand that they needed it, but I, but in my head, I'd be like, well, do they actually need it? And I'm taking time off already, but even more so, I think that there's patients don't have a lot of empathy for doctors. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that that would be an issue, whether in the hospital or in the office setting. You know, there are people relying on you, so you can't just randomly decide to take a mental health day. Um, But yeah, I I definitely think it's true that patients often, just the way they see doctors, they're just saying, like, the doctors are the people who solve all the problems. 
and don't realize doctors can also have problems themselves. Yeah, we, you know, we try, we, we, uh, we as humans think we're so logical and, you know, so, so great at like just connecting the dots, but in reality, we're not, we kind of forget that doctors are humans too. And if I'm a human and I feel, can feel that way, then my doctor is also human. He should also, or she should also be able to feel that way, but we never kind of give them that benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I think that's that could be the root of mental health issues in medicine that we're always so focused on solving other people's problems and we don't want to see ourselves as being like the patient or the one who has the problem. Um, but I think that it can be detrimental because it can cause us to kind of like push away our problems rather than confronting them. Well, that's so interesting because I, I, I have this, I don't know if it's a theory or maybe someone can prove it or maybe disagree with it. But I always find that if you look at a friend group, there's always like a friend that's like kind of like the problem solver that people go to for their problem or like always is the one that gives that advice, but is the one that never kind of takes their advice. But they're like, so like, I'm so great. Like, everyone thinks they're so great at giving out advice, but very few people are great at taking it. And I think with, I think that because they're afraid, they don't want to work on their own problems. So it's easier instead of going and fixing and doing the work on yourself, it's easier to try and fix somebody else's problems because it makes you feel good about doing something else, but you're also not putting yourself first and you're not actually doing, taking the time to work on yourself and you kind of master kind of can mask that in doing and telling yourself you're doing a good deed for somebody else. Yeah. I think that happens a lot in medicine and you know, it's hard. It's really hard to be in this position where, you have so much responsibility. You're responsible for healing people, for making them not sick. Like that's a huge responsibility. And I think it can just be easy to block out everything else and just focus on that. And even just to ourselves, we don't want to appear weak to ourselves because we see ourselves in this position of responsibility to others. And what happens if, you know, what, what's the, what's like, what are we afraid? What do you think that we're afraid of if to be seen? Why are we afraid to be seen as weak? Yeah, that's a tough question. I just think it, maybe it'll make us question our own strength. Like if we allow ourselves to appear weak, then, then maybe we shouldn't even be in the positions that we're in to try to help other people. And asking, I wonder if that maybe ties back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, asking for help. Is that, are we afraid? And, and you talked about in med school, and I think it applies throughout in any industry where you're, that you're in, you know, asking for support or asking for help, admitting that, you know, maybe I can't do, I, I can't do this on my own. And we view that as a weakness, but maybe that's, there really is that courage and that strength and identifying when you can't do it alone. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So I want to wrap up here by giving you, you know, I want to give you the platform here now to give a message to anybody out there that's struggling with mental health or anybody that's in med school, whatever you want to want to say, the floor is yours. Okay. Yeah. So I want to just give some general tips for better mental health as well as physical health, by the way, this actually really applies to all aspects of health. And this could actually be a whole topic in itself. But I just wanted to briefly mention it here while I have the chance. So I think that there are certain factors that we should focus on because there's so much that we are not in control of, but there's also a lot that we are in control of. 
So I'm just going to go over a few of these factors. And so one factor is diet. We often overlooked, but research shows that there's a connection between the bacteria that live in our intestines and our brain chemicals, specifically serotonin, which is like the happy brain chemical. Uh, so we really need to pay attention to that, especially when we're talking about mental health. Uh, and an optimal diet focuses on plants and minimizes animal processed foods. I know that's not what a lot of people want to hear. A lot of people want to go for the junk food, but ultimately it's just going to make the whole cycle worse of mental health. Another factor is exercise. So I think that is something that a lot of people are recognizing that exercise uh, can be very beneficial for mental health. Uh, another factor is stress management. I'm specifically saying management and not reduction because I think we need to just realize we're always going to have stress in our lives. We can't necessarily reduce it, right? When we have meaningful things in our lives, we are going to have stress. We just have to figure out how to manage it in a positive way. So things that we've already talked about, like mindful walking, yoga, whatever it is that you like to do to help you manage your stress, anything works. Another factor is sleep. I think that's another thing that we often overlook in our society. We're always trying to do more, achieve more, and we may not get enough sleep because of that. Um, but that just leads into a really terrible cycle of sleep deprivation and worsening mental health. So it's something we should really pay attention to. And another factor is social connection. So, you know, we're social animals. It's really important for us to have support systems um, and that can be a friend, a family member, a therapist, really anyone. And really the point I'm trying to make is that the choices that we make on a daily basis matter. And while mental health is complicated and there are many factors at play, there are some things that we can control and we need to take advantage. Yeah, absolutely. I think everything you said there, I mean, I want to also clarify that, you know, neither of us are mental health technically professionals. We don't have degrees in it. We don't have PhDs in it. But these are things that, you know, we've studied or you've studied. You mentioned, you know, stuff about serotonin and the chemicals. I implore everybody out there that is interested in hearing more about it to do your own research, find doctors. You know, there's so many different opinions on out there that everyone should be, in my opinion, responsible and, and trying to hear both sides. Here's somebody who argues for one thing that argues against, read, read things that argue against it, challenge your own beliefs, do your own research. But I do think that the last thing you said is something that I'm so all in about, and that's about controlling what you can control because anxiety is makes you feel like you have no control. And when you have no control, you feel like the world's falling out. But if you just take control of and life's really unpredictable. There's a lot of things that we can't control. We can't control other people. We can't control the weather. We can't control so many factors. But there are so many things we can control. And that's about identifying how our bodies work the best. If you're some, I mean, I'm personally, if you're somebody who, who needs eight hours of sleep every night to sleep, you know, these things that are general, like get more sleep and eat certain foods, everyone's body is, is different. There are obviously, I think process, some people processed foods are probably not the best for you, but I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. If you eat processed foods once in a while, and I, I'm not saying that's what you were saying. I'm just throwing that out there and that take control of what you can control, find out. And a lot of this, a lot of it sometimes is trial and error. It's about what you can do, but it's about challenging yourself to really take 
take control of your own life and aspects that you can. If that's ex- if that's for you, that's an exercise. If you're somebody that, you know, a lot of tips for how to control anxiety is, you know, exercise and diet and meditation. If it's mindful walking, if it's just walking for you or it's really any aspect, what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. And while all these things, if you're somebody's listening and you're really struggling with your mental health, Somebody can tell you, you know, meditation is like maybe the last thing you want to hear. It might be something you're not good at. For me, it took me, I just started getting back into meditation on a steady basis, but it was impossible for me to do what it felt like impossible for me to do for so, so very long. And I think that it's really just about identifying what, what actually helps you. And I think, you know, one thing I do want to highlight also is that you mentioned that to clarify between reduction versus management, because and, I, and I've noticed this from people that, you know, have been really successful and I've listened to people talk about it. And that's something that they really talk about. It's that they just kind of learn to let go of what they can't control and to take real control of everything else in their lives. And they don't run away from stressful situations. Those situations no longer become so stressful because they built and fought and really optimized the tools that they're that they've learned in life about how they work. And that's, you know, that's with time, you know, we're young. We're still learning about how we're, we're adding new stressors. You're in a, for you, you're in a very stressful time in your life, and it makes a lot of sense to be stressed. So I know I just went on a long rant, so I apologize. No, I agree uh, with everything you just said. I think it's really about being open-minded and trying new things and seeing what works for you. Yeah, and I do want to, um, before we, we wrap up, I do want to give a lot of credit to you because, you know, we don't know each other. Um, I always end and in, in, in the end of my podcast when I record after the guests and I say, you know, if anybody out there is interested in coming onto the podcast, please reach out. Or if you're somebody out there who knows of somebody who might who might want to to come to come on, like reach out. And you're the first. I don't want to like if somebody else has done it, but I think you're the first person that I've never known before, like at all, that reached out and said, "Hey, I'm interested in this." So I really want to commend you. I think it's incredible. Now I know. Um, that for privacy reasons, you know, we left out some certain details and I'm going to, we're going to keep your privacy, obviously, but I do want to give a lot of credit to you, Rachel. I think the fact that you took that challenge, you took a risk by email, by messaging me. And I'm really, really happy that you did because it really meant a lot to me as the host of this podcast. And it also meant a lot to me on a personal level. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And if anyone wants to talk to me, I'm totally open to that. You know, I don't want all my information like shared with the whole world, but like, one-on-one, I'm happy to talk to anyone who wants to talk as well. Yeah, so if uh, anybody, if anybody is interested in, you know, in, in talking to Rachel, um, hit me up. I'll set, I'll connect you two together. Um, but other than that, we're going to keep your other, all your information except for your first name, uh, confidential. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on to the Don't Worry About It podcast. It was my absolute pleasure having you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Rachel for coming on to the podcast and being so open and vulnerable with us. Really, really learned a lot from a lot of things she said, as well as I just recently tried out Meaningful Walking, and it's something that I'm going to continue to practice in the future. To those who are listening, Rachel someone who reached out, who we have never spoken before in our lives, and she decided to come on. If anybody out there who's listening to this episode or any of the other episodes and is interested in coming on to the podcast, please reach out. I'd be happy to have a conversation with you as well. If anyone is interested in 
helping out in terms of topics or maybe knows of anybody with any guests. I'm so open to any critiques and, and suggestions. Just reach out through me right now. I guess the best way to do this is through Facebook or if you know of anybody who knows me, they'll give you my number. And I know that's a little low tech, but that's where we're at right now. And hopefully we're going to get better building out social media and whatnot. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys could please like, subscribe, review, and rate. And you know what? Maybe if you know anybody out there who could be struggling, reach out to them. Let them know that you're there for them. And if you think there's anybody out there that could benefit from listening to these, po- these episodes, maybe send them a link or don't. That's up to you guys. Anyway, thanks so much again for listening. I'll see you next week.